Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, it is a guest of mine that is a return guest. We have Matthew Sweezy from Salesforce. Matthew, how are you? And I'm sure you're you're locked up at home somewhere. Yeah, yeah. hey, man, it's great to be here uh, digitally with our uh, social distancing. Social distancing. What what have you stocked up on uh, now that you're going to be working from home for a little while? What's What's on Matthew's got-to-have list? I did pick up some Oriental Top Ramen, by the way. It was just a good excuse to uh, bring some of that back to the Lewis household. I missed that from my college days. What about you? Uh, peanut butter, man. I'm a peanut butter nut, so I eat like a ton of it. So I just stock up on peanut butter. Peanut butter. I know, I, random, right? Random. I grew up in a house where uh, my entire family was always on diets. That, that my, my parents, I always like to tell my mom, my mom's lost I said, Mom, you've lost like over a thousand pounds. She goes, No, I haven't, honey. I go, Yep, you're up two, down one, up two. We we had a very strict eating regimen at the Lewis house, and we never ever had peanut butter at the house because my dad would just get the Laura Scudders with a spoon, hide in the pantry, and just go to town on that thing. So my mom stopped buying peanut butter. That's that's what you made me think of. Um, wow. We are back together again, as you know, because you have just come out with your new book. It's actually just about to hit the shelves. Maybe actually by the time that people are listening to this podcast, it is out there. And uh, tell us about it. You sent me a copy, which I'm about halfway through, as you know. What what prompted the, the new book? Yeah, so the book's called The Context Marketing Revolution, uh, published by Harvard Business. Uh, really what kind of sparked it was kind of two things. One is um, I work on the future of marketing for Salesforce. And so work with a lot of our customers, clients, uh, data research, kind of trying to figure out what really is the intersection of modern media, technology, uh, consumer decision-making processes, like where are they all kind of going in the future? And through doing a lot of that research, I started to notice some pretty radical things that were happening and specifically how high performers were just so dramatically outperforming their direct competition. So, you know, finding that out, that was super cool. Um, so that's one aspect to it. The other aspect was when I talk with clients and work with customers, a lot of times, a lot of marketers really kind of understand some of these things, not at the depths that I write about or research, but at some type of a level, right? We all understand experience. However, there's a lot of times that we have a problem of getting that message into other people's heads in our organization, right? The old saying, you know, you can't be a prophet in your own land. Um, so I wrote the book for that as well, as, as to be a tool to help people be able to help make these changes internally inside their organization for some external validation. Love it. And you are a, you are a tools guy. Your first book was the Marketing Automation for Dummies. And uh, you've, you took on the challenging project of writing your second book. And in between that, uh, for those of you who don't know Matthew, I highly suggest you connect with him on LinkedIn. Uh, Matthew did a mini series, podcast mini series. It was an award winning podcast uh, series, Matthew. And let's let's talk a little bit about that because I, I think with all of us with a little extra time at home, there's some great content that you've produced um, for people to dive into. And and that was a, a very very well received mini series, but different from a lot of a lot of podcasts. How did how did it go? What was the feedback besides you winning some of the awards that you did? Yeah, the feedback was phenomenal. Everyone really loved it. I mean, it won a bunch of creative awards. Um, so a Summit Award, two Summits, um, some Platinum, Hermes, uh, .com Awards. Um, but really, 
the big thing is that it's a podcast about marketing unlike anything else you've ever heard. Um, and really what I do is I dissect the definition and idea that we have of marketing and get into why I believe it's failing and what we must do about it. Um, and so it's a nine-part miniseries. Um, each one's about 20 minutes. Um, but it's much more of a serial type podcast um, rather than a dialogue. Um, so, you know, pulling in interviews from people like Seth Godin um, that we had on the telephone or, you know, interviews that were happened on the Letterman show back in 1989 with, uh, you know, with Edward Bernays, you know, so there's a really rich audio experience uh, and a really deep storyline that a lot of people find fascinating. Well, thank you for creating the content that, that you do. I, I certainly love producing the podcast every single week and, and glad to have you back on the program. The book, I, like I said, I'm about chapter 10. I think the whole thing's about 14 chapters. So I'm, I'm more than halfway through and uh, dropped in again, by the way, last night on it. And when, when I dug into it, you talked a little bit about Tesla and the phenomenal marketing that they have done. And I'd, I'd love for you to extract some of that from the book and talk about that on the podcast. When I started the book and I'm like, okay, what's, what's Matthew writing about? How, how will this impact my thinking from a content? Um, there's, there's one word and it's the word that's on the cover and that is context uh, and creating con- content for our audiences that's very relevant and contextual. And I'm wondering how you landed on that, right? It's such a noisy world these days. And so it just immediately made sense to me being such a prescriptive book around um, having context in the content that we do. But why don't, why don't people do that naturally? Yeah, we don't do it naturally for one really simple reason, right? We have this belief of what marketing is. Um, and that was really the, the core fundamental thesis of the book, uh, which is that we entered a new media era. And I was actually able to prove this out by research and while that doesn't sound like all that interesting or, yeah, we know about social media. No, what I'm really talking about is like a fundamental resetting of the entire environment. Uh, mm-hmm. So media theory is a study that essentially believes that media environments affect all things, right? Like the thing that we think is of, of love, right? Our idea of love wasn't something that was in our head when we were born. It was given to us by the media that we're exposed to over time. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, you know, Marshall McLuhan, Harold, and it's a pretty, pretty well-researched field. Um, and so that's the whole idea of marketing is a response to an environment. It's a game that we play given a certain set of circumstances. And those ideas such as no such thing as bad press or, or sex sells, right? These are ideas that work given a certain media environment. But when that media environment shifts, And we shifted from a limited era to what I call now the infinite media era. And what has happened is it's not that there's just more noise or more content. It's coming from a different player, right? It used to only come from brands and businesses. Now the largest creator of noise is individuals. Um, It operates in a different type, right? So think about uh, the notification you're probably going to get on your phone while you're watching this. That's a format of media that is completely created by a computer that is sent to you personally and no one else will ever see it, right? And then it affects us in different ways. And now think about the impacts of these modern methodologies, right? Like that, the Fitbit notification, it will actually get a human to walk 500 more steps. So when we start to think about decision-making processes and how we motivate individuals to do anything, specifically our case of how do we get people to buy things, right? We need to really understand it's a radically different world. And that world is now foundationally set upon this word of context. So just look at any modern media that we have, right? Social media is a super easy example. 
If you go and look at the timestamps on your social media feed, they are not chronological. They are contextual. And new formats like TikTok don't even have timestamps on those posts so that the AI can resort those posts and only serve up what is contextual to that individual at the moment. Google search, the same thing. We could all ask the same question. We are all going to get a different answer in context of who we are, where we are, and all those places and all those other factors. So that's really kind of what the idea of context is and what it means. Um, and when we apply this to, to marketing and say, okay, well, that's what it means in the environment that operates for context. But really what it does is it shifts the game of marketing. It's just the creative lens of marketing from us creating purely creative things to break through by pure creativity and get somebody to do something by the copy image call to action that we create to realizing we're only going to be able to break through and build trust and motivate individuals if we help them accomplish their goal or their task at hand. And then we have to continuously do that over a very long uh, customer journey. Um, and so that's really kind of the, the idea and where context comes from. Nice. You, um, Matthew, one of the things I love about Matthew's style of, of content is it's very how-to, it's prescriptive, and um, this book is no different. He introduces the context framework that he put together and, and, and gives a, 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 you know, the five elements uh, for doing this and being effective at doing it. Let's talk about some, some companies that you admire that in your research and when you're writing about um, doing it well. And I mentioned uh, Tesla. We can either go there or if there's someone else uh, you know, that you want to highlight um, – Great examples that you gave in the book. Yeah, Tesla is like the macro scale, like poster child of context marketing, right? So when we talk about the, so context marketing is not like, how do I take the thing I'm doing now and how do I apply context to it, right? This is a fundamental resetting of what we think about marketing, its role, scope, and function, right? That's what I'm talking about in this book. So now that's going to be very hard for you to, you know, completely change the entire definition of marketing for an organization that's existed for a while. But it's not hard if you're a brand new startup like Tesla, right? So just listen to the story between Tesla and Mercedes-Benz. Now, Mercedes-Benz used to be the number one luxury car manufacturer. Uh, and if we compare the two most comparable models, the Model 3 from Tesla and the Model C in the C-Class from Mercedes, we get the following storyline, right? So Mercedes, 89-year-old, so somewhere in that ballpark, 90-something-year-old company, uh, about a 50 billion, give or take the day, valuation, and in 2017, they spent $926 per car advertising the C-Class. And they sold 86,000 cars by doing that. Now, let's underscore this with, let's look at their business model and the role and function of marketing in their business model. They operate with a build, market, sell. They build a car. Marketing's job is to then tell the world to convince them to buy this car. And then they sell the car, right? Build, market, sell. Now let's compare Tesla, right? Tesla is, I believe, 14 years old at this point, um, has a market cap of $150 billion, uh, and they, their advertising cost per car on the Model 3 was $6. That is one one hundred and fiftieth of what Mercedes spent on advertising cost per car. And then how many cars did they sell as a result? They sold three times as many cars. They sold 276,000 domestically in two, 2017. Now, What's most importantly about that is the car didn't exist when they sold them. And then we go all the way down to that underscore, right? What is the role, scope, and function of marketing at that organization? And it's radically different. In fact, their business model starts with market, right? They work with their market, and they have a conversation of how are we going to get the world off of fossil fuels? 
from that conversation, they get their marketplace to actually go into business with them and pre-buy and pre-order these cars, right? They sell well before they build. Then they build and deliver the car, but they just don't deliver it in a traditional model. They focus on the experience across the entire thing. In fact, the Tesla buying experience is unlike anything else in the marketplace. And now Tesla is the number one luxury car manufacturer. And, and so that's what we're really talking about here with a radically different concept of what marketing means from a role, scope, and function. Was this done intentionally by Elon and their marketing team and such? Or is this an example where they got, let's call it lucky, with a customer and audience base that is, is just as fanatical about their products as they are and, and decided to become their marketeers and amplification? Because I think any of That's us... That's a really good question. Here's the reason I asked the question, to give more context, right? All of us, especially right now, right? I mean, we're, we're sending out the most contextual emails that have ever been sent. My team right now, uh, Matthew, every day we are sending emails out for all of our clients um, with COVID-19 information to their clients, their partners. Um, we, we've all been receiving those, so you know what's coming out. There couldn't be any more context to what's, what's happening right now, and, and those are very contextual um, it's now getting a bit noisy, right? Where maybe when the first ones came out, we were reading them top to bottom, and now we're like, scan, yep, okay, good. Yeah, it was just another message about everything from them is going to be operationally okay. Um, companies like Tesla, as they introduce new products and capabilities, and, and they really had to create an entirely new category, you know, electric vehicles and even autonomous vehicles, right? And popularize that idea. Was it intentional or was it um, good fortune that their fan base was, was all over the content? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and it, it's exactly the business model that they've chosen and how they operate, right? They're not the only ones. They weren't the first one with an electric car. Uh, they're not the only ones with an electric car, right? The difference is how they operate, right? So we talk about digital transformation all the time in terms of the fourth industrial revolution. When we say digital transformation in terms of a business must transform itself to survive in this modern era, the role of marketing has to be transformed as well. Right? And they knew that, right? They didn't go out and say, all right, we're going to sit here. We're going to build the best, most amazing car we can. And then we're going to come up with an ad campaign to push it out to the world. They could have done that. In fact, that's what all of their competitors are doing, right? They started and did it a completely different way. Because when Elon created the very first car, what did he say? He says, we are going to make this car, but what we're doing, what we're really doing is we're getting to the Model 3. We're going to build the technology and we're going to get it down costs, down, further down in costs, and further down in costs until we can make a mass market car. See, they had that conversation with the marketplace the entire time, and the marketplace bought into that. Because they weren't just buying a car. They were helping fuel the innovation to get the world off of fossil fuels, and in my mind, that makes them a purpose-driven brand. I don't own one. Do you? I, well, I, yeah, no, I drive a forerunner. My next car will be an electric car, and I'm, I'm due for a new car in two months. I, I may be delaying that because I don't know if I'm going to be driving anywhere anytime soon, not to be an alarmist. No, I'll, I will need to get a new, new car. Um, when you look at the communication and the community that Salesforce has, has brought together, do you think they're practicing what you preach? And, and what are some examples where they're doing a good job of that or maybe not? Yeah, and this is a super great question, right? And let's just be clear and transparent right from the start. Not every brand is going to do everything perfect all the time. 
I, we do a lot of amazing things. There are things I wish we would do better, but there are some phenomenal things that we've done that are highly contextual. And my favorite example is the Trailblazer community, right? There's this online place, Trailhead. You can go mm-hmm. on there and there's two things that you can do. Right? You can join the community and you can ask and answer other people's questions that relate to the Salesforce ecosystem. And then there's the other aspect, which is educational, which you can then upskill based on any um, you know, product or soft skills related to our world. Now, here's the thing, right? If we go back to the word context, helping somebody achieve their goal, right? what, is, what are our customers' goals? They have a desire to improve their personal career and a desire to improve their business. So by allowing them to ask and answer each other's questions, they're actually improving their personal brand. And what we found is a quarter of those people have already found new jobs via that network. Yeah. And then the other aspect is the educational aspect of, of driving better business. And, you know, it's the basics, right? If someone can better utilize your tool to accomplish their goals better, they stay with you longer. And what we found is our customers that utilize the Trailblazer network and that are on this system, they spend twice as much and stay customers four times as long. We're not giving them a message of saying Salesforce is better for you. We're helping them accomplish their goal. And by helping them accomplish their goal, they're rewarding us with twice as much money and staying four times as long. There is no messaging campaign that could ever do that reliably and sustainably. You talk about as part of the the five elements about authenticity, and that's a word that is coming up a lot these days in all kinds of different contexts. so clearly when you said, hey, I want to put this framework together and I want to come up with these, these five areas about being uh, things like permission, personal, authentic, and what you just talked about, uh, availability and purposeful, um, very, very few companies uh, in the marketing that I see them do, there's the exceptions, have an authentic tone. I think it, it stretched every company mm-hmm. to right now, given what's going on in the world, to say, hey, we're here for you. And it's business as unusual for us, and and also want to make offers and overtures. You know, Salesforce came out and said, you know, these tools we're making available to you for free, so that we can help you um, adjust to the new normal that's taking place. And you you and it didn't it it was very authentic. And there's other companies making the same type of overtures. This is a time when authenticity is showing through. It's also a time that we see companies trying to capitalize on on chaos. So you wrote this book and put it together way before anything that's happening now was, and, and authentic is, is in there. Is it because you are identifying companies that lack that capability or you wanted to, um, or maybe a combination of both, you wanted to give a, an approach and say, make sure this is part of your content strategy in, in terms of having context. Why did authentic make the, make the, the top five? It made it top five for one simple reason. You can follow every of the other prescriptive things. You know, you can check all the other boxes. You can, you know, donate to charity. You can, you know, have a, a you know, a, a connected technology system. You can understand, you know, all the modern best practices. And a lot of people do that, right? I mean, like when we look at all of those numbers, most people have all that stuff. Most people have the technology, at least some base level systems, um, and, you know, but the difference is how they use them, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really where the authentic aspect comes in. It doesn't matter if you check all the boxes, right? The consumers demand authenticity, right? And that's one of the big things and the big themes of the book is that we have to realize that, you know, the individual is now completely consumed and swimming in a world of authentic content, right? The number one creator in the world of content is an individual. And number two are their devices, 
right? That's a different ball game that we have to learn to play. And we have to get past these old ideas of, of, you know, how we think about our brand and how we project our brand and just really embrace this new idea of what is authentic and how do we create authenticity. And it really shows up in super simple ways, right? It, it can be a super fluffy idea. Okay, what is authentic? But there's super simple examples. Like, let's just think about an email, right? And then you ask yourself, how do you manage your email inbox? Well, do you open the first email and start to scan the contents, decide to continue reading or delete it, go to the next email in line, open it, start to scan the contents, decide to continue reading or delete it? Or do you scan the subject lines, delete the crap, and work on the rest? And we all do B. Mm-hmm. And the simple question we need to ask ourselves is, how are we so efficient at determining if this is a crap email that has no value for us when we're only looking at about 80 characters of information and doing that in a fraction of a second? And the answer is because marketers write in a conversion methodology. They try to write a subject line that converts as many people as possible to get them to open this email. Right. Rather than thinking about how do we write an authentic email to a single person, right? The best email marketer is the individual, right? The individual from Gmail and Outlook has the highest email open rates in any organization. I want to I ask you two more questions. And one is because of what you just shared around email, like we're all very... We, like you said, we, we've, we've taken our own machine learning and applied that to an important skill, which is we got to cut through the noise ourselves in our inbox. Same thing that we also do on LinkedIn. And you, you bring up this, like what we're detecting very quickly are things like, was this written to me or was this written to an audience? And that doesn't make if it's written to an audience, it doesn't mean it gets the delete key, but we're able to process that extremely quickly. And then the second thing I think is, is this about them or is this about me? And how much context to what's going on in my life or my needs? That the 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 number one that you talked about earlier, like helping, you know, context is is around helping people achieve the value that they seek in that moment. That's a that's a big underscore that you make sure we hear when we read the book. And we're just able to screen this stuff very, very quickly. It's very hard, I think, for people to write authentic content and to be personal and to be purposeful unless they really understand thy buyer. And I don't mean the traditional approach to a buyer persona, right? Where it still may, yeah, that's our buyer up there on the wall or written in a document and we've developed this very, very solid buyer persona, but is it really? Is it really understanding what their needs are? And you talked about Salesforce's approach to the Trailblazer community and how everything done in there is to help this community advance their skill set, advance their knowledge, advance their career, their compensation, everything. It's with that community in mind. It's not about your product. I, I think that's a key takeaway from people listening to the podcast to be thinking about that and certainly to dive into Matthew's book and take a look at your own content. Take a look at your website. Is it about thy buyer or is it about your products and services? How authentic is it? How purposeful um, is it? What are your, what are your thoughts, Matthew? I mean, that's what just, just I took away diving into about two thirds of the book was looking at all the content that we create. And I actually think at Demandgen, we do a pretty darn good job with the content that we create can we always do better every marketer wants to to do better what are your what um what do you think about that yeah i agree most people have the and you know there's the buyer persona network or the buyer persona uh, book adela ravella um you know 
phenomenal. That's I, I prescribe to this mentality, right? A persona is not a cardboard cutout with sticky notes on it. It's not a demographic or psychographic profile. And so we have to understand, you know, what are they thinking, feeling, and doing at each moment along their journey? Right? We need to talk to people more. Um, you know, we so often offload actually talking to customers to survey methodologies or to research firms that most marketers don't actually talk to their customers on a regular basis. And we need to talk to them on all types of basis, right? We need to then follow up if we have a, let's say that we create a piece of content, right? And we see that they downloaded it. That doesn't mean that they enjoyed it, right? Are we following up and asking, you know, did it meet your expectations uh, in that moment? Because if we didn't, we may actually be promoting something that actually is a bad experience to other people just because they downloaded it. Um, you know, so we need to make sure that we are actually talking to people and then not just offloading that to surveys, but actually being able to use our intuition to say, oh, that's what you mean by that, right? Not just saying, you know, not allowing just, you know, a sentence that was typed out um, to be the end all be all, but really diving deep and using that creative element to get into what are you really thinking? What are you really feeling? What are you really doing? How can I really help you? And that's where I think we should really be going. So my last question for you is, who's the audience for this book? Who did you write this book for uh, and how will it help them? Yeah, so I really wrote this book for the CMO. Um, so this book is really kind of there to do two things. One is to there to illuminate and shed light onto this new world, right? So it, any of us, me included, we all were trained and taught this idea of marketing. And it was correct at that point in time. But the reality is the environment has radically shifted, causing us to question everything that we know, because these are games based on the environment and the environment has changed. Right. So that's the first part is to illuminate and say, this is where you need to be thinking about moving forward. And second is then to give them validation that they can then hand this book to other people and say, hey, listen, but this isn't just some idea I'm thinking about. This is really you know, here's a book that we're actually looking at. It's from Harvard Business. This is some legitimate theory um, that we should be thinking about and considering on how we reshape our business moving forward. Um, so it's really kind of what's forward. It's that CMO to give them insights as well as to be a tool to help them make this case internally. But I don't have to be a CMO to get value from, and I will tell you that. But I, I, I did want to ask you that. You said something that I like dog-eared the page, highlighted with my highlighter as I used to do in college, and you said, to succeed as marketers in this modern era, we must focus on providing experiences that are desired and permissioned whenever possible. In other words, contextual experiences. A lot of great ideas in the book, and you really challenged me to take a look at the content, whether it's here on Demand Gen Radio or the thought leadership and other tools that we put out. So thank you, Matthew, for doing that. For all of you who don't know Matthew or been connected, um, as I said in the first podcast that we did together, reach out, connect with him on LinkedIn, Matthew, M-A-T-H-E-W, Sweezy, S-W-E-E-Z-E-Y. We talked about Salesforce, but I do want to make it clear, like this is not a book published by Salesforce or a Salesforce tool. Matthew just happens to work there. It's it's published by the Harvard Business Publishing Arm. And it's a, it's a great book, Matthew. I want to thank you for sending me my complimentary copy, although you didn't sign it. So when I see you next time, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have it in my back pocket, but I think it came directly from the publisher. So thank you again. Anything uh, we didn't cover, Matthew, that uh, you want to share? No, man, this has been great. Um, it is, you know, to, to all you that are listening, like really just ask yourself a question before you do something specifically in regards to marketing. Why do I think I should be doing this? 
right? And then go back, like be a historian, go back to where does that idea originate from? Like, do we realize that the idea of public relations comes from 1918 from a guy named Edward Bernays who gets the idea from his uncle, whose name is Sigmund Freud? Like if we really start to dig into why we believe we should be doing these things and then put them in the modern time, we can see, do I need to iterate? Do I need to change? And a lot of the times, just the foundational era is different and we need to give up those ideas wholesale and embrace a new idea. And that's the whole concept of this book. So uh, thanks so much for having me and, and love to connect with anybody if they have any questions. Thank you. The Context Marketing Revolution by Matthew Sweezy. Grab a copy. We, we've all got some extra reading time these days and listening time. So thank you, everyone, for joining me on Demand Gen Radio. Um, if you have a marketing book or just book out there that you really uh, think is a great um, tool, drop me a note on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to reach out to the author and, and have them on. I've had Matthew on, Don Peppers, and many other great authors um, to dive into, whether it's marketing books or just topics around living the best life that, that we can. So feel free to make suggestions. Um, and thanks, everybody, for, for tuning in. I hope everyone is safe uh, and is, is adjusting to the new normal as best you can. And I want to thank, uh, again, all of you for sticking with me and, and tuning in week after week to Demand Gen Radio. We'll catch you all on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.